Chapter 12 of Lives of the Most Remarkable Criminals, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Benny, Munich, Germany. Lives of the Most Remarkable Criminals, Volume 2, by Arthur L. Hayward. Chapter 12 The Life of Francis Bailey, a Notorious Highwayman. That bad company, in an habitual course of indulgent vicious inclinations, though of a nature not punishable by human laws, should at last lead men to the commission of such crimes as from the injury done to society require capital sufferings to be inflicted, is a thing we so often meet with that its frequency alone is sufficient to instruct men of the danger there is in becoming acquainted, much more of conversing familiarly with wicked and debauched persons. This criminal, Francis Bailey, was one of the number of those examples from whence this observation arises. He was born of parents of the lowest degree in Worcestershire, who were either incapable of giving him any education, or took so little care about it, that at the time he went out into the world he could neither read or write. However, they bound him apprentice to a baker, and his master took so much care of him that he was in a fair way of doing well if he would have been industrious. But instead of that, he quitted his employment to fall into the sink of vice and laziness, the entering into a regiment as a common soldier. However, it were, he behaved himself in the state so well that he became a corporal and a sergeant, which last, though a preferment of small value, is seldom given to persons of no education. But it seems Bailey had address enough to get that passed by, and lived with a good reputation in the army near twenty years. During this space, with whatever cover of honesty he appeared abroad, yet he failed not to make up whatever deficiencies the irregular course of life might occasion by robbing upon the highway, though he had the good luck never to be apprehended or indeed suspected till the fact which brought him to his end. His first attempt in this kind happened thus. The regiment in which he served was quartered at a great road town, Bailey having no employment for the greatest part of his time, and being incapable of diverting himself by reading or innocent conversation, knew not therefore how to employ his hours. It happened one evening that among his idle companions there was one who had been formerly intimate with a famous highwayman. This fellow entertained the company with the relation of abundance of adventures which had befallen the robber on the road, till he had saved about seven hundred pounds, wherewith he retired, as this man said, to Jamaica, and lived there in great splendour, having set up a tavern, and by his facious conversation acquired more custom thereto than any other public house had in the island. As Bailey listened with a great attention to this story, so it ran in his head that night that this was the easiest method of obtaining money, and that with prudence there was no great danger of being detected. Money at that time ran low, and he resolved the next day to make the experiment. Accordingly, he procured a horse and arms in the evening, and at dusk sallied out, with an intent of stopping the first passenger he should meet. A country clergyman happened to be the man. No sooner had Bailey approached him with the usual salutation of stand and deliver, but putting his hand in his pocket and taking out some silver, he, in a great fright, and as it were trembling, put it into Bailey's hat, who thereupon carelessly let go the reins of his horse, and went to put the money up in his own pocket. 
The parson, upon seeing that, clapped spurs to his horse, and thrust his right elbow with all his force under Bailey's left breast, and gave him such a blow as made him tumble backwards off his horse, the parson riding off as hard as he could with a good watch and near forty pounds in gold in his purse. Soilus setting out might have marred a highwayman of less courage than him of whom we are speaking, but Frank was not to be frightened either from danger or wickedness when he once got it into his head so that as soon as he became a little to himself and had caught his horse he resolved by looking more carefully after the next prize to make up whatever he fancied he had lost by the parson with this intent he rode on about a mile where he met with a wagon in which there were three or four young wenches who had been at service in london and were going to several places in the country to see their relations Bailey, notwithstanding there were three men belonging to the wagon, stopped it and rifled it of seven pounds and then very contentedly retired to his quarters. Flushed with success, he never wanted money, but he took this method of supplying himself, managing, after the affair of the parson, with so much caution that though he robbed on the greatest road, he was never so much as once in danger of a pursuit. Perhaps he owed his security to the newer taking any partner in the commission of his villainies to which he was once inclined, though diverted from it, by an accident which to a less obstinate person might have proved a sufficient warning to have quitted such exploits for good and all. Bailey, being one day at an alehouse not far from Moorfields, fell into the conversation of an Irishman of a very gay alert temper perfectly suited to the humour of our knight of the road they talked together with mutual satisfaction for about two hours and then the stranger whispered bailey that if he would step to such a tavern he would give part of a bottle and foal thither accordingly he walked his companion came in soon after to supper they went and parted about twelve in high good humour pointing to meet the next evening but one Bailey, the day after, was upon the Barnet Road, following his usual occupation, when looking by chance over the hedge, he perceived the person he parted with the night before slop a chariot with two ladies in it, and as soon as he had dropped them, ride down a cross lane. Bailey, hereupon, after taking nine guineas from a nobleman's steward, whom he met about a quarter of an hour after, returned to his lodgings at a little blind brandy-shop in Piccadilly, resolving the next day to make a proposal to his new acquaintance of joining their forces. With this view he stayed at the home all day, and went very punctually in the evening to the place of their appointment, but to his great mortification the other never came and bailey after waiting some hours went away as he was going home he happened to step into an alehouse in fourth street where recollecting that the house in which he had first seen this person was not far off it came into his head that if he went thither he might possibly hear some news of him accordingly he goes to the place where he had hardly called for a mug of drink and a pipe of tobacco but the woman saluted him with oh like sir don't you remember a gentleman in red you spoke to here the other day yes replied bailey does he live hereabouts i don't know says the woman where he lives but he was brought to a surgeon's hand by about three hours ago terribly wounded my husband is just going to see him though bailey could not but perceive that there might be danger in his going thither yet his curiosity was so strong that he could not forbear as soon as he entered the room, the wounded man, who was just dressed, beckoned to him and desired to speak with him. 
He went near enough not to have anything overheard when the man in a low voice told him that he was mortally wounded in riding off after robbing a gentleman's coach and advised him to be cautious of himself. For, says the dying man, I knew you to be a brother of the road as soon as I saw you. And if ever you trust any man with that secret, you may even prepare yourself for the hands of justice. In half an hour he fell into his fainting fits and then became speechless and died in the evening to the no little concern of his new acquaintance, Bailey. Some months after this, Frank was apprehended for breaking open a house in Piccadilly and stealing pewter, table linen and other household stuff to a very considerable value. He was convicted at the ensuing sessions at the Old Bailey for this crime upon the oath of a woman who had no very good character. Though he acknowledged abundance of crimes of which there was no proof against him, yet he absolutely denied that for which he was condemned, and persisted in that denial to his death, notwithstanding that the ordinary and other ministers represented to him how great a folly and as well as a sin it was for him to go out of the world with a lie in his mouth. He said, indeed, he had been guilty of a multitude of heinous sins and offences for which God did with great justice bring him unto that ignominious end. Yet he persisted in his declaration of innocence as to housebreaking, in which he affirmed he had never been at all concerned, and with the strongest asseverations to this purpose he suffered death at Tyburn the 14th of March, 1725, being then about thirty-nine years old, in company with Jones, Barton, Gates, and Swift, of whose behaviour under sentence we shall have occasion to speak by and by. End of chapter 12